Good morning. How is everybody today? Good. It's fall break, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's really excited about fall break. I don't know why that is. Uh, Kidmo, you guys are dismissed. If you are in here, if you're a guest, you have a second through fifth grader. Uh, our second through fifth graders have their own worship experience, and you can uh, go back if you're a guest and kind of see where they're headed so you don't have to send your kids out. Uh, but they have a great opportunity in store for them this morning. Uh, it's good to have you. Uh, glad everybody is here. It is fall break, and finally the rain has lifted. So we needed the rain, but we didn't need that much. Uh, but we are glad that it is over. Certainly our prayers are for those communities that have been greatly affected uh, by all of the rain over the last few days. Uh, really excited about closing out Hope today. Uh, so far, we have talked through several key issues of what it looks like to have hope. And the truth is, as we look around the world, we look around our nation, we look around our community, what we don't see is hope rising. What we see is hope falling, decreasing, receding. We see hope going away from people. We see a rise of unhappiness, a rise of depression. We see a rise in people wishing their lives were greatly different than they are. We see people doing incredible acts Uh, that are just horrendous against others because their hope is fading. And hope is not something that we can simply talk about in a service or talk about in a sermon or talk about with our friends and just say, you know what, you just need to have hope, right? Have you ever seen a person who is hopeless that simply telling them have hope made a significant difference in their lives? And typically the answer is no. Just by saying, hey, just... Be happy doesn't typically make someone who's not happy happier. Similarly, telling someone you just need to have hope does not give somebody more hope. And so we've kind of looked through some foundational principles of what does it mean to have hope. And the first one is very simple. The object of your hope needs to be capable of sustaining that hope. So we've been joking around the last few weeks that we had great hope for a certain football team that wears orange. Our hope has been diminishing and decreasing following the national average over the last few weeks. Although some have not given hope, others are in utter despair. The object of your hope has to be able to sustain that hope long term. I hope one day I get to be a fighter pilot. That's been one of my dreams since I was a kid. But the object of that hope is not sustainable long-term. I hope I will win the lottery and I won't have to go to work. In fact, I'm going to go spend the rest of my money on lottery tickets this morning because I really don't want to go to work today. The object of that hope is not capable of sustaining that hope. And the problem with a lot of religions are the fact that they give these quick Nice, nice, neat phrases on what does it look like to have hope, but yet the object of those faiths are not capable of sustaining that hope. And so the object of our hope is so vitally important. Also, what's vitally important are our beliefs. Because beliefs are what our hope is built on. If you believe something to be true or something will be true, even if you don't know that it is, you have faith that that belief is true and our beliefs will cause us to change the way we act. If you want to change your behavior, change your beliefs. Now, sometimes that's easier said than done, right? In fact, it probably in every case is easier said than done. But if you change your beliefs about something, then you will change your behavior about something. It will also change the level of hope you have if the beliefs that you have do not bring hope. And then last week, Scott did a great job talking about hope being active because the truth is many of us, we are giving up on hope, not because the object of our hope isn't capable, but because we ourselves have not been willing to be active within it. It has never caused us to act in any way. Sometimes it is because we've taken bad advice. Other times it's just because we're lazy. And so God has invited us to be a participant in the hope that is in this world. And yet if we just sit back and go, well, I hope God does something. 
God may have put you in this place to see a need for you to be able to fulfill it. Because sometimes our hope has to be active. I want to share with you something this week that uh, this week's events certainly play in to, uh, to what I want to talk to you about. And that is the idea that hope is not meant to be just for me or for you. It, hope was never meant for us to find it, to keep it, to hold it in, and then have it ourselves. And then just say, look, I've got hope. Good luck with you. Instead, there's a crucial aspect of hope all throughout Scripture that says hope is meant to be shared with others. In fact, I've come to the place in my life, I've seen enough people, I've experienced enough things in my own life, I've made enough mistakes in my own life to notice that if I am not willing to share hope with others, my hope begins to diminish. God never anticipated, or never anticipated, never expected us to keep it all just for ourselves. Hope has to be shared with others. Now, if you have had any access to any kind of news channel at all this week, you know that there was a horrific shooting that happened on a college campus this week. And nine people were killed. Others were injured. And of those nine people, all reports seem to indicate they died Because they were Christians. As the gunman went from person to person, as he walked into the classroom, he asked for all the Christians to stand, and he killed everyone who stood. Anyone else who didn't say they were a Christian were either wounded or left for dead. And so these events happen in this world in which you and I have hope. You know, sometimes when we do series like these, Current events don't really make things easy on us when it comes to talking about it. Uh, It's great to talk about hope and say, God is going to rescue you. It's great whenever you have a problem, you know, you lose your job and the mortgage payments due. It's, It's great for us to do a sermon that says, just have faith, God will provide. But you're the one looking at the numbers, right? Whenever we have a shooting like this, we look at that and we say, you know what? God is going to take care of his people and then... Something within us says, God, it doesn't feel like you took care of them. And so as we look at hope, we cannot stay to the same immature understanding of the hope that we had before. An immature understanding of saying that hope means that everything's going to be just fine for me. I'm going to have no problems or no issues. We, We have to let go of the idea that having faith and trusting God means that God is sitting around and he is not going to let anything happen to you. The ultimate helicopter parent. That is not who God is, even though some of us would really like for him to be that. No, don't let that happen. No, stay away. No, and put a bubble around us. And while I can't imagine what the families of those nine individuals are going through, What I do know is, is God is still faithful, even in the midst of tragedies, and they still have hope. Even though their lives were taken from them. As we look through our news, anybody a news junkie in the room? Somebody just listen to the news. I mean, you have your radio set to it, TV set to it, go to work, maybe it's on there. Every one of you are depressed, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're happy because you don't listen to the news. No, I'm saying the ones that do listen to the news, they're the ones who are depressed. If you listen, I, I, we, um, I, got, a, I, I got a car uh, uh, that had Sirius uh, a few months ago. And so I was using it, and I've never, we, we, never, we don't have cable at our house anymore. So it's not easy for us to watch all the cable news, which is really a blessing, to be quite honest. But uh, so I would turn my Sirius radio on to CNN and Fox, and I just kind of swap. I just listen to one for a while, then I listen to the other, and it's amazing. They are living on two completely different planets, apparently. But so I would go back and forth. But I found over a period of about four to five weeks, every time I got in my car, it was on the news, and still I still listen to the news that way. That's how I catch up on a lot of things. My kids get in, Dad, why do you listen to this stuff? And so then we have to change it, you know, to some, something else. But. I noticed over that four to five week period that that's all that I listened to, that emotionally I was getting very withdrawn. I was starting, I was just getting down and depressed. I'm becoming more and more cynical about our nation because of the way that the news markets these things to us. 
And as we look at the news and we look at the hope that we're supposed to have as a nation, we're, we're looking at things like an, an economy that is drying up and, a, and Wall Street that is crashing. It's rebounding and then crashing and then rebounding. And then all of the uh, infomercials that say, hey, listen, the big one's coming. It's all going to be gone. We read horrendous things about Planned Parenthood and what's happening with children and I don't know if you saw a couple of weeks ago a group that got together and wanted to just talk about how awesome it was to end the life of their child. It's just depressing what is going on in the world around us. We look at these events as Iran getting nuclear weapons. Look at Umqua Community College. And where is our hope? Where does it go in the midst of these kinds of events? As Christians, sometimes we can forget that we are not citizens of this place as much as we are citizens of the next. That this isn't our home anymore. The hope that we have, it has to be based on something bigger, something different. And the truth is, the world is not going to celebrate the hope that you have. It will not happen. In fact, they're going to tell you you're crazy for the hope that you have. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read through a pretty good sizable uh, passage of Scripture, two chapters that I want us to go through in the book of Acts. And I want you to see what happens right at the beginning of the movement of Christianity in Jerusalem as it is beginning to spread. Now, I want you to keep in mind that at this time, things are no different politically than they were just a few weeks before. As Jesus was arrested, given a false trial, tortured, and killed, and then resurrected. So this is just a few weeks later. Nothing has changed. The same people who want the movement that Jesus started, they still want it to die. And yet it's not dying. It's continuing to go. And the reason is because the apostles had hope. The people that walked with Jesus had hope. The people who had experienced a miracle, they had hope. They were different. And they couldn't not share it. And so as they begin to do that, they begin to run into problems because not everybody's excited about this new hope that they have. They're not excited about them sharing this. But what they knew that would ultimately lead to their death was that they had to share this thing that had happened. How can we have experienced this and keep it all inside of ourselves? So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be at Acts chapter 3. Our, our key verse for the series is 1 Peter 3.15. It says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Be ready to share why you have hope. As we look through Acts chapter 3, what you're going to find is there's only one that can give hope. The object of our hope is God. Only God can give hope. But you have the opportunity to point other people to that. You have the opportunity to share with other people where this hope comes from. If you've experienced this, you have the opportunity to take hope into a, a place that is losing hope, where there is little hope. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. I want you to listen to the story. It begins with a, a uh, miracle uh, the apostles are performing all of these miracles just as Jesus had done. It, it validates their message that what Jesus taught didn't end with Jesus' life. It wasn't just a trick, but instead it continued on with him. We're looking at Peter and John, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm going to be reading some big pieces of Scripture. So y'all just follow along. If you have version, you can follow along there. Uh, lights are low. Stay awake. Sometimes I know that's hard. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So we, here we have a lame guy. He, he cannot make a living, so they bring him here and set him at the gate. People see them. They've known him since he was born, and that's how he gets by, off the generosity of others people give to him. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now, my guess is the reason they had to tell him to look at them 
is because if you spend your entire life not being able to do anything for yourself and you are placed at a gate every day of the week so that people will hopefully give you enough money or food to get through the day, you don't have a lot of hope. Your probably gaze is pretty downcast. You're not looking at people. It just becomes automatic routine. Help, 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 whatever they say. And they said, look at us. And one of the incredible things about this portion of the story is that the apostles stopped. They could have just thrown something in. but They stopped. Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, if we're going to share hope with people that don't have hope, there are a lot of things we can't do for people, right? There are a lot of needs out there you and I can't meet, but what we can do is help meet physical needs because hope is easily shared by meeting the physical needs of the hopeless. Hope is easily shared that way. If you find a physical need, help meet it. If you're able to meet it, meet it. If you're not, help them find someone who can. That goes with those who are on the side of the road, those who live next door, those that you are friends with or your kids are in school with. Hope is easily shared by meeting the physical needs of the hopeless. What you and I need to become so good at is identifying what those needs are. If anyone should be good at need assessment, it should be Christians. What are the needs of others and how can I meet it all right that's the intro to our story that kind of sets the tone for what's happening you can imagine someone that they've seen laying their entire life gets up and starts walking jumping it gets attention people are just amazed they want in on this this is amazing verse 11 says while he clung to peter and john all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called solomon's And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel. Now, keep in mind, he has met a need, and now he has the ear of many people. What does he do with that ear? Does he just say, yeah, that was great. See, we got got a meeting in here. We got things to do. Got got an appointment I've got to keep. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. He's reminding them, you just did all of this stuff to the one who empowers these things you're seeing that you're astounded by. Verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that... His Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. What's he doing? What's happening here? What, what's, what's Peter doing with this crowd that he has? He's teaching. What's he teaching? Repentance? Hope? The gospel? He's laying out the gospel here. So he, he's met a need. He's got the attention of someone who's... In need, he recognizes, I have just met a physical need, but that pales in comparison to your spiritual need. So now let me help meet that need. 
and he's ready in a moment. Now, I don't know what he had planned to do. This may have been the sermon he had planned to teach once he got to the temple, or this could all have been completely unexpected. They were just walking to the temple like they would every single day, and this guy stops them. They've seen him before. But that day was different. And he met his need, and now they have this huge audience who just is amazed at what they are seeing with their own eyes. And he begins to share the gospel. Verse 19, repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet, it's all talking about Jesus, shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who, come, who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is a great representation of the gospel spoken to a group of people within the culture in which they exist. They knew these names. They knew these people. They knew these promises. Paul would never have preached this kind of a sermon because Paul didn't preach to Jews who have that history. Paul preached to Gentiles. He spoke to them in their culture. And yet, as we look at what he's saying, all of this happens at the spur of the moment. My my guess is that every single one of you at the spur of the moment have the opportunity to, to help someone have more hope than they did before meeting you. Every single one of you has something to offer, has something to give. It's amazing how many people, if you did this one activity, I guarantee you'll see results. If you walk out of the house in the morning and decide that you're going to encourage every single person that you come in contact with, even the person that cuts you off, even the person that's slow in the line in front of you, even the person that just made your job harder because they didn't do their job, if you would just decide today every single person I come in contact with, I'm going to encourage them, I I guarantee you will want to do it again. Because you will see people change. It's so incredibly easy to help give hope to those. But ultimately, those little glimmers of hope pale in comparison to what Jesus came to give us. I think about these nine Christians that are in school, young people for the most part. Just starting off being an adult. What would we do if we were asked, if you're a Christian, stand up? What would we do? How would we respond? Why not just stay seated? Why not just keep it to ourselves? I mean, why not? Hey, nobody's going to know. God will forgive me. Forgives me for, I mean, he's forgiven me for worse stuff than that already today. You know, God forgives me for stuff. Why would I stand up? For True believers of Jesus Christ is because they have experienced something that has given them hope that is greater than anything that happens in this earth. But there's a lot of people who go to church week in and week out. They have not experienced Jesus yet. They don't have that hope, so they don't understand that. Hope is built on the foundation of Jesus. It has to be. Their message was built on the foundation of Jesus. They even said the only reason we're able to heal this guy was because of Jesus. Jesus is the foundation, the object that is capable of sustaining hope long term. Let's keep going. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came into them. This is where you and the music, you know, that happens in the movie. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people. And quite honestly, they all assumed they had silenced this message. They assumed it was all over. They killed the guy. Jesus was not the first person who claimed to be the Messiah. He's just the only one who actually was able to be resurrected from the dead. 
There were a lot of other people who said they were Messiah before Jesus ever came on the scene, and they handled them the same way. They killed them. They were gone, and the message stopped because there was nothing to their message. Yet Jesus was different. He was the Son of God. He came back from the dead, continued to perform incredible miracles, and he gifted that to his apostles. It's incredible, the foundation by which that is born, which that is given us. And so when these Sadducees and these, the captain of the temple and all these religious people that were supposed to know God so well got angry. Because this is not the message that they wanted to go out. Verse 3 says, they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, keep that in mind. The number of men that heard this message as they were being arrested was 5,000. You can expect men were not the only one that were watching this unfold. That's just how they counted. Thousands of people came to know Christ because of this. Because of this instance. And a group of people decided we need this message to stop because they thrived on hopelessness. The religious leaders at the temple thrived on hopelessness. We have throughout history seen the church take a very unnatural place where it has tried to sustain itself and it thrives on hopelessness. Not only did they do that then, we experienced that just a few hundred years ago in the Catholic church. Whereas if you send and you'll pay me some money, then I will guarantee your sin is forgiven. And that's one of the reasons that Martin Luther tapped on the wall his 95 thesis is saying, this is not right. This is not the gospel. You could pay your way out of sin. That's exactly what they were doing here. And when they, verse 7, had set them in the midst, they inquired, but what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, little dig, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Which, what do you say when someone says that? I mean, he's standing here. He's, we never did anything for him. And now he's whole. What do you say? Now, this is the point in the story that a contemporary Christian stops reading. Because they think, well, I'm not going to be able to walk up to a crippled guy and Tell him to get up and he's going to walk away and do that. So this is one of those supernatural events that only happened back then. And so there's probably not a lot for me to draw from this passage because I can't do that. And the truth is, is that we have tied so much of our faith into miracles that Jesus himself wanted your faith to go beyond these incredible miracles. So many of us say, well, if I can't do that, God must not be working in me. The world says, well, you know, if you all could you know, make dead people come back to life, we might believe. And yet even Jesus, while he was still walking the earth, said, how many times do I have to give you the si- a sign to make, think- make you excited? When will belief in what I'm saying be enough? And he began refusing to perform miracles even before he was crucified. So if you read this kind of passage and you start turning yourself off because I can't, I can't do this thing, but you can be bold. You can be aware of the needs of others. You can be ready at a moment to help someone and then tell them why you're helping them. 
Because that is what our world needs. From all measurements that are being communicated through mass media, the world is in serious trouble. And the world is right. As we read through some of the prophecies of what will happen before Jesus returns, he basically says things are going to get really bad. And when they really hit their peak, that's when Jesus will return. He says people are going to just want to go do whatever they want to do. It's going to be all about them. It's going to be about the individual. It's going to be all about them getting to do whatever they want. And what do we see as being heralded as the most important thing in our nation right now? The rights of the individual. Let me just tell you, in my, in my house, there are no individual rights. You know what I'm saying? There are no individual rights. Now, I'm not some kind of new dictator. I didn't have any individual rights when I was a kid either. Amen to that. I didn't have any individual rights. When you show up to work, you have an employee bill of rights. But you know what? In Tennessee, your employer can decide he doesn't want you to work anymore. You're gone. So if you walk into work and you begin to assert your individuality and your individual rights and you want them to do whatever you want them to do for you, you're probably going to get fired. We have come to a place in our nation where at one time it was about the community. We talked about citizenship. If we want to be unspiritual, we talked about citizenship, patriotism. But now it's about the individual. Hey, don't make somebody upset. Don't offend somebody. Don't, don't tell somebody they can't do that. Yeah, but they want to steal my stuff. Well, yeah, but it's their right. Steal your stuff. I'm going to put you in jail if you try to stop them. The individual rights, that, that is what sin is. It's the idea that I'm the most important person in the world. I don't know who you all people are or what you think you're getting out of this life, but you exist for me to give me what I want. That's where our world is going. And as our world goes there, we see hope going away because that's not how God created us. That's what we've become. And we're destroying ourselves and we're destroying everybody else. The world's already done it to themselves and our nation. We're just ushering it in with a red carpet. It's all about the individual. Which is true. It's just that that individual is not us. The individual is God. He says, if you will keep me at the center of everything... If you will keep me at the center of your life, if you'll keep me at the center of your hope, if you will keep me at the center of all of the goals of your life, I'm telling you, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, you will be fulfilled. I will give you the desires of your heart. The incredible thing about the... We, we love that verse. I will, God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, I, I have some desires of my heart. I've shared some of those with you. I, I, you know, some nice cars I like to have. There's some vacations I like to go on. And I would like to retire as quickly as possible. My checkbook says otherwise, but that's what I would like to do. And yet he says... He's going to change the desires that exist within us. But as we know Jesus, as we begin to understand what he's doing in our lives, our desires will become his desires. And so many of us are frustrated in our faith because we're trying so hard to get God to accept our desires. We've been praying so long for God to do something for us that we want him to do. He's clearly saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And yet we keep on and then we get mad at him because he's not choosing to adjust his desires to ours. That's the way we work in America. And yet, if he becomes central, if he becomes the most important thing, then that changes everything for us. I just can't imagine what it would be like in a room that may have looked similar to this one and have someone walk in with a gun and say, if you're a Christian, stand up. Listen, there's nobody thinking at that moment, he's, he's getting ready to give us something. There's not a person sitting there going, man, we're... He's going to let us out of class and he's going to lecture the rest of these people. They're not going through those minds. They know what's happening here. Why stand up? Why stand up? Don't they know that if they had just 
not stood up, it could have possibly have gone better for them. Why stand up? Unless they've experienced something. Unless they've experienced something that was better than the possibility of living another day on this earth. Verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. They're talking about this stuff. You know, they handle disagreements very simply. They put you out in the middle of the court and uh, they get a bunch of rocks and they stone you. That's how they handle these things. So as Peter and John are brought here, remember, they're talking about Jesus who has just been, been tried falsely. He's been, uh, he's been tortured and murdered uh, falsely. And now he's right in front of them again. Basically saying, you guys really screwed up when you killed him. And they're thinking, oh, really? Because we're going to do the exact same thing to you. <laughs> that's, what's going, that's what's happening here. So right off the bat, there's not this feel good. Everybody's going to church singing songs. Hey, it's, everything's great. I mean, they, there is persecution immediately. They have not yet been able to navigate through that. And the gospel is spreading as thousands are getting saved. On the next day, they gather together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas and John. Some of those names sound familiar. They were just involved. They inquired, by what power by, or, excuse me, by what power or by what name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning this good deed... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the men who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. I mean, we can't cover this up, is what they're saying. We can't cover this up. We've covered up all this other stuff. We cannot cover this. We can't cover this up. Too many people have seen it. Verse 17, but in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The world will work against your attempts to share hope. It will work against you. It will not work against you because it doesn't like a message of hope. That's not the reason the world will work against you. People don't make fun of you on social media or at work or maybe, maybe even family members. They don't make fun of you for your faith. Because they don't want hope. They make fun of you because the enemy is influencing them. And the enemy does not want them to have hope. See, there is a war going on. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities about spiritual enemies. And the enemy wants the world to be without hope. So don't expect to be able to go out and share hope. And have the entire world pat you on the back for it. But they are Dying for it. They need it. We have it. We shouldn't hold it in. This reminds me of a story. I'm just going to read a, I want to read a portion of it. When they said, okay, we're going to let you go. Because you've got like five to 10,000 people out here now saying they're one of you. And we're a little outnumbered. We can't deny you did this incredible thing. We're going to let you go. Just don't do it again. Don't do it again. No weight at all in what they're saying. Don't, just don't do it again. But yet others who have followed Jesus have been put in the same position as Peter and John, as these students, this professor at this community college has happened before. It's happened all throughout the story of, of God, all throughout the Scripture. One of the most notable one is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that story? They got themselves in a pickle. King Nebuchadnezzar, he built this big altar and, and or this big statue. And he said, I want everybody, whenever, whenever we strike the, the instruments at different times of the day, at that moment, I don't care what you're doing, you stop, you bow, and you vow allegiance to me. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would not do that. Instead, they prayed only to God. And so King Nebuchadnezzar found out, and he calls them in. Verse 14, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, this is Daniel chapter 3. You don't have to turn in there unless you're on your version. You're already there. Daniel chapter 3 says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said it to them. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? This is exactly what was happening in those classrooms. It's the exact same thing. Exact same question. It's phrased a little differently. If you're going to worship Jesus, you're going to die. (laughs) So choose now what you're going to do. Verse 16. I love this response. (laughs) Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I love that. Isn't that great? (laughs) We don't have to talk. We don't have to give an answer. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Now, the reason that we miss some of the rest of this passage is because we know the end of the story. We know that at the end of the story, God saves them from the fiery furnace. If you've heard this story at all, you read this and you go, well, of course they're confident because Jesus is going to be in there in the furnace with them and the king's going to be amazed and they'll not be burned at all and they'll come out. They're going to be fine. We read the story knowing the end, but in this moment, all they know is the king saying, bow to my gods or die. That's all they know at this point of the story. That's all they know. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your, king, your hand, O king. But if not... That's a really big if not, isn't it? He can save us. There's nothing you can do to us. Our God is so much bigger than you. You you can do whatever you want to with us. God will save us. But if he doesn't, if he chooses not to rescue us from this fate, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, or worship the golden image that you have set up. Because they knew something that the king didn't. That God is so much bigger than he was. What you and I know is that there's hope after this world. You are going to go through all kinds of problems and trials and frustrations. You are going to go through that. Oop. Time to quit. All right. We'll see you all next week. I am almost finished, by the way. But if not, we know there's something better coming. That's called hope. No matter what happens in this life, you can trust that God is active and working. No matter what happens in your circumstances, you can trust God that the very worst that could happen you're going to end up with him in eternity. But even if he doesn't save us, we cannot turn our backs on what we have experienced. And and this is a response of Peter and John backing up Acts chapter 4 again. Peter and John answered them when they were given the same choice, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. I think that's kind of funny. We can listen to you. We can listen to God. You you decide which is smarter. 
For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They knew him. The truth is that passion and hope changes people. Passion and hope changes people. I want to read one more passage real quick, and then, and then uh, I'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, wrapping all this together. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. That's a long way of just saying, man, we, sometimes it's really bad. But it's not so bad that it overcomes the hope that we have. Sometimes it, it, life's really hard. But God is so much better. Sometimes people really give us a hard time for our faith. But God is worth it. Verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. We share hope. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That are where those nine students are and or eight students and the professor are today. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now keep in mind, the apostles are already at this writing are being tortured and killed. So this light, momentary affliction does include martyrdom at this point. When Paul's writing this, the apostles are being killed. He considers that light and momentary affliction. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is what I want to leave with you. So how do we share hope? You've got to know the source and the object of your hope. You've got to know. It's not enough to be able to talk a big talk. It's not enough to be able to say whatever you want. You've got to know what your hope is. It's not enough to just... Snow somebody, put a mask on, say the answer you heard someone say and you thought it was a good answer. You've got to know the object and source of your hope. You also have to clearly and boldly present the gospel in word and lifestyle. You've got to live this stuff. It's not hard to live this stuff when you truly know that it's true, when you believe it, you've experienced Christ. It's not hard. Clearly and boldly present the gospel just as they did. We encourage you to share hope by caring for those who can't care for themselves. There are all we are surrounded by people who cannot care for themselves. Children, families, individuals, adults, those with special needs who cannot care for themselves. We have the opportunity to help care for them if we open our eyes to see their needs. You may not be able to do some incredible life changing thing for someone. But you all have something you can't add. I have something I can't add. We can all do something. Let me encourage you. Another way to share hope is to encourage believers who are struggling. You probably know one of those too. Encourage them. Help them through that time. And while I pray that none of us have to ever experience what some Christians are experiencing around the world, be bold when you're persecuted for sharing hope with others. Be bold. Don't be apologetic. 
Be bold. Be prepared to give a defense to the hope that's in you. As I said, the world is influenced by the enemy. They don't want this hope to spread. They don't want the hope that we have to go out to others. They want it stopped. They want it silenced. But there's a world in desperate need. So I don't know where you are at the end of this series. Kind of a weird way to end the series. I don't know where you are in this. I don't know if you're a person who is trying to deal with their own lack of hope and, and you're just really wanting to, 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 to hope again, to believe again, to expect good things again. And you're just so concerned or so worried that things are going to go get worse from here for, in whatever way. Or maybe your hope is set and you're so comfortable where you are and, and it's, you don't even think about the hope that others need. Maybe it's to open your eyes to the needs of others. Maybe you have an opportunity to share hope and you're not sure you're going to take it yet. I want to encourage you to take it. Because as we grow in our own faith, your shared hope is a growing hope. As you share it with others, it will grow in you. Our key verse for the series, 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason. For the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness. And respect. Would you pray with me? Father. God I pray that you would. Solidify within us a hope. That will go the distance. I pray for those in the room. And they're here looking for just another chance. They're here looking for something that will. Make life make sense. or They know that their hope is fading. God, I pray that they would experience you in a way that they would know you are real, just as I know you are real. Father, I thank you for all of the examples that we have to follow. Men and women of God who have demonstrated what it's like to walk with you and have shown us the fruit of being able to just know you and be known by you. Father, I pray for those that are in this room and they're not sure what they have to offer somebody else. You have built within them through the Holy Spirit an ability to change the world around them. I pray they would have confidence and an urgency to share it. Father, I thank you for the example of these these nine people. Father, there is so much evil in this world, and it invades the heart of those that don't know you. Father, I thank you for their boldness. Thank you for their example. I thank you for their strength. A very difficult situation to be able to stand up. To be able to say, my faith is more important than my life. I pray that we would have that same confidence I pray that your Holy Spirit would be active and alive in us so that we can know, we can believe, we can expect a greater life once this one's over. I thank you for your Son, who through his grace and mercy has given us life, given us an opportunity to be with you forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.